Holly G with the Golf Insiders with uh, one of our favorites, Bob Herrig from ESPN.com, joining us on a day with some uh, major breaking news. Bob, can you fill us in? What's going on? Well, we have a schedule. <laughs> Whether or not we'll really be able to be uh, up and running by the proposed date, I think is weeks away from being decided, but at least there is now a plan. Uh, beginning June 11th, the uh, Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth at Colonial would be the first event back, and the first four would be without spectators, and it's going to be busy. It's going to be all the way through Thanksgiving. In fact, the week after Thanksgiving would be the final event. No, no off weeks. Uh, you know, FedEx Cup playoffs all in there. Um, new season beginning the 2021 20, season beginning the week after Atlanta. Uh, but obviously, all this is contingent upon health and government officials signing off at the appropriate time, and and even you know a um, some sort of consistent level of uh, coronavirus testing. That um, you know we're not at that point yet, but the tour is hoping to get to that point. The Memorial Tournament has um, been moved back to July 13th, the week of July 13th, which I guess would have been when the Open Championship was scheduled, correct? That's correct, yeah. The, the Tour has taken advantage of some of the Open Weeks that were uh, that became part of the postponements and cancellations. Uh, uh, the Memorial took that week. Uh, the WGC uh, FedEx event, which was supposed to be around 4th of July, is now moving to the Olympics week. Uh, that's in late July. Um, and um, uh, the, uh, let's see, the U.S. Open week, which was supposed to be June 18th to 21st, that's now uh, RBC Heritage, which, was, of course, was supposed to be played this week, the week after the Masters. Right. So they some some events we thought were going to be canceled have have just been postponed. Um, you know, clearly they're trying to just they want to try to play as many events as they can, give as many playing opportunities as they can. Uh, you know, help as many charitable entities as they can, and also you know provide an event for to, to be able to get that sponsorship money that um, that that would be coming in when these events are played. You, you talk about uh, the, the charity aspect. As we know, the PGA Tour earlier this year announced um, having uh, given back $3 billion in charity donations, which is more than the total of all the major sports organizations combined. It truly is remarkable. The, 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 way, the way they have set themselves up is, is pretty... Is, is pretty shrewd, um, and, you know, they can thank Dean Beeman for that. You know, the, there's only been four commissioners in PGA Tour history, and Beeman was the second one, and it was right around, what, uh, 40 years ago now, I guess, around 1980, when the current kind of system was at least put in place, at least the beginnings of it, which is that every tournament functions as a 501c3 or a nonprofit, And that allows them to give their proceeds to charity. In fact, they are required to be run that way now so that um, 
you know, that first of all, they're not paying taxes on their income uh, from sponsorships and ticket sales and things of that nature. nature. Um, the purse money is basically funneled through the tournament but isn't doesn't come from them. It really comes from the tour and from the title sponsor. And, and so the, the local tournaments are just charged with, with, you know, putting on the event, you know, the staging of the event, the, uh, the renting of a golf course, for example, or the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the infrastructure, grandstands, bleachers, uh, roping, uh, all that stuff. And they make their revenue then to pay for all that through the pro-am and ticket sales and sponsorships and such. And then, you know, at the, end of the, at the end of the week, they add up what they spent and whatever they have left over, um, they give to charity. And that model produces, you know, in some markets, several million dollars, you know. So, yeah, they've done really well. And obviously there's a lot of communities now that have come to rely on that money and won't be getting it. So, um, you know, the tour is sensitive to that, too. They really want to get back so that they can help these charities. Obviously, they've got players who's, whose livelihood depends on it. They have a staff of people. There's local communities and economies that, that, that are impacted. Just like, you know, just like it is in everything we're talking about right now about trying to get back on track. You know, golf is just one part of it, but when you just start looking at that one part, it's very significant. Well, uh, recently a new organization was formed called clubshelp.org, um, designed to pair golf and country clubs with local hospitals. I know Ernie Ells has been uh, doing some work with, um, with this organization where you know, clubs are transforming their food and beverage operations into free catering services and providing meals to healthcare workers, as well as a lot of the tour pros who are supporting you know, their local hospitals, the, you know, Billy Horschel up in Jacksonville and Ponte Vedra, Brooks Kepka in South Florida. And a lot of these guys are doing it in a, you know, very behind the scenes way. Yeah, it's good to see some of that stuff happening. You know, um, uh, there's a lot of people hurting out there right now. And, uh, but the, uh, the, the uh, and, and golf has always had this history of giving back. You know, and uh, the tour even noted that today, uh, you know, about some of the, you know, the players and how they've been happy to see them stepping up in a lot of these instances. And, uh, you know, they're all sitting around waiting to do stuff, too, just like we are. And a lot of them can't play or practice. You know, some of them live in places where golf is not allowed. You know, the courses are shut down. Uh, gyms are closed. You know, some people don't all have a gym in their home. You know, and so they, they rely on going to a gym, and, well, they can't. So, um, you know, these guys have some time on their hands, and, and it's good to see some of them utilizing it that way. You mentioned that, that you know, there was a conference call this morning with the, with the PGA Tour, and we were talking uh, briefly before uh, coming on uh, the podcast. Just what are some of the things they're looking at uh, in terms of getting, you know, the players back to playing, what new protocols, certainly, of course, testing is, you know, the most uh, important, but, you know, how, how would it look in terms of, you know, would they play in twosomes? Are they going to be wiping down all the clubs? Any ideas? I think they are studying every single aspect of that 
they did not say uh, whether they would go so far as to only have twosomes. I would think that would be difficult because they, if anything, they want to add players and not not subtract. And you're going to have a hard time getting done with 144 players if you don't have threesomes at least the first two days. But I think, you know, there's a sense that those three players and their caddies and, and maybe a, uh, a, a walking score, um, uh, you know, a, in, in a group. So what are we talking about? Seven, you know, that they would be able to properly socially distance in that, in that scenario. Now, the caddy and the player is complicated, I think. They don't necessarily have to be near each other to discuss, but part of the, you know, listen, it's really rudimentary, right? But part of the job is you take the club back from the player and you clean it off and you put it back in the bag. On the green, you, you uh, clean the golf ball and you give it back to the player. I mean, that is an issue in this climate that we're in, touching things that are shared among people. Now, if both players were tested that week and both were clear, maybe there's more confidence to be able to do that. I mean, I could definitely see where we're not going to see any sort, even when there are fans, no autographs. You know, I think I think events would be smart to not have bleachers um, so that people are not clustered together. You know, it's going to be impossible to completely socially distance in these instances if you bring fans back. There's restaurants and food services where that's going to have to occur, uh, and uh, restaurants and, and food service. But, I mean, you don't have to have people sitting right on top of each other for four hours watching a golf hole, you know. Um, and, of course, that's going to that's gonna limit their revenue because they won't necessarily be able to sell luxury suites. But, I mean, this, just you and I talking here shows you all the complexities of all they have to think about and, and work through. Absolutely. So at the same moment that uh, the tour announced that the Colonial will be run in Fort Worth on June 11th through the 14th, it was announced that the Canadian Open that was scheduled in June has been canceled. Yeah. um, uh, And that, I think, has a lot more to do with government there than it does the tour not wanting it. Because Clearly, that date falls within the realm of what they're doing here. Um, but I think, you know, there's been, in Toronto, especially a move to cancel all big events, even into late summer. And I think that just posed a complication for them uh, that, that just made that harder. You've, got, you've also got these travel restrictions for people outside of the country. And they said today that they've got roughly 25 PGA Tour members who are currently outside of the U.S. And so there are travel restrictions. And, um, uh, and, and you know, I think they're hoping that there could be some resolution to that here in the coming weeks. They've, you know, they've, given, they've bought themselves some time uh, to, to, to get all that in order. Uh, so... Um, uh, but to your point about the Canadian Open, yeah, that's tough. I mean, now we've got that. The, you know, the British Open is gone. That's gone. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of doubt about the U.S. Open in New York. Uh, the PGA Championship is being very bold with August dates in a part of the country, California, you know, where their governor has talked about 
um, you know, sporting events not starting before Thanksgiving. Now, again, the PGA of America is, is, is open to the idea. They're, they're planning for the idea of an event without spectators, too. So would that, would that pass muster with the government there? Oh, so many things to work through, you know. It's a, um, it's just such an unprecedented time and uh, uh, all kinds of different theories on, on all these different aspects, too. Uh, another part of the evolving, changing schedule, uh, the Greenbrier event in September permanently canceled. They had a contract through, I think, 2026, and that has now been removed uh, as a tournament. Yeah, and the, and the tour is not the tour is not usually big on letting sponsors go. Um, so I can only surmise that there were some issues there, um, whether they might have been financial uh, with the Greenbrier, or maybe they, you know, given the fact that they're shut down right now, perhaps there's, you know, maybe they felt like this was going to be hard for them to meet their obligations going forward. Uh, you know, these are the things that we don't all know about. But obviously, you know, some of these companies that are sponsoring events, um, you know, uh, look, I, I'm just going to throw one out there, Rocket Mortgage. I have no idea if they're hurt by this situation or not. Uh, but, you know, Rocket Mortgage, okay, are people buying homes right now? Maybe not because they're concerned about their finances. So they put those sorts of things on hold. They might not be able to go look for one. You know, you can't go anywhere. So are people getting mortgages right now? Maybe not. So you got to you got to figure that their business has been impacted in some way. Now they're going to turn around and sponsor a golf tournament and X number of dollars. I mean, I'm not saying that they're in any trouble, but I'm just pointing that out as one example. You've got you've got all these title sponsors, and their companies might be hurting. And they might be looking and saying, man, we don't need to be spending seven, eight, nine million dollars on a golf tournament when we're laying people off. You yeah. know, so um, that all goes into this, too. It's an incredible uh, dynamic that they're all working with. Um, I happen to read a piece by one of your colleagues, Ian O'Connor, who was sharing that the coronavirus had struck very close to his family. Can you share about that? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and incredibly, um, uh, Ian, uh, at the end of April, or excuse me, the end of February time frame, early March, um, had, had a brother of his pass away. Um, he had been hospitalized with a heart attack and, and, and ended up not making it. And as sad as that is, um, you know, horrific, not an old person by any means, um, uh, I, but, um, you know, then in early March time frame, around the time of the Players' Championship, actually, that week, you know, they had a wake and a funeral, and he lives in New Jersey. Well, so then what happens? His wife, his sister, his brother-in-law, his son all came down with coronavirus. Oh my and they're convinced it happened at the funeral, where there was a, you know, and we're talking about a part of the country this was they were hit hard early and you know and so this is this is to the point about like big groups and close settings 
that's a perfect example. In New York, New Jersey, there's a lot of mass transit and a lot of close quarters and a lot of population. I was joking with somebody the other day, you know, in Florida, our mass transit is non-existent. And we, and we complain about it, and it's a joke how poor it is. And, but in a weird sort of way, that's helping us right now. Sure is. Because people, people who are traveling are doing so on their own in their own car. They're not getting on trains. They're not getting on buses because they don't have that as an option, you know. And so it helps. It helps keep people separated, you know. And this whole thing about, you know, trying to open up beaches and stuff, it's just not wise. Uh, but when you talk about golf, you know, especially without spectators, you've got, uh, you know, like we were saying, six, seven, eight people on one hole, they can perfectly stay away from each other, and they don't have to come in contact with anybody four and a half hours. So, um, you know, obviously there's going to be TV people and all that who can keep their distance. Uh, so, you know, I think it has a chance. Uh, even Dr. Fauci said, you know, his, he thought that the way back with sports is, is no fans, and, and that thing has a chance to work. Uh, lots of other obstacles, but that, that takes out a big issue if you don't have these, you know, 10, 20,000 people in one place all close together. Well, we know the world is starved for entertainment, and I can't think of any better medicine right now for the country than sports coming back on TV and giving us some distraction. Um, and I think we'd certainly be okay with that with, without having to be on-site fans for right now. Absolutely. It does. It gives us a little bit of hope. It gives us something to look forward to. Even if those first events aren't played, maybe, you know, okay, well, maybe it's July 1st. You know, and uh, yeah, obviously um, there's a lot that can happen in the next six weeks to get us in a better, in a better, better place with this. You know, better testing, more, uh, more prevalent testing. You know, maybe this antibody thing that they've been talking about uh, that can show if people have had it and, and, and might be immune. Um, I think you know, a vaccine sounds optimistic to be that soon. Um, but but uh, you, you know there's a lot of incredibly smart, diligent, <clears throat> hardworking people that are working towards that end. And, um, you know, if they can do this safely and give some people that, that I think gives us all some confidence to, uh, you know, to try to get back to a normal, some sort of a normal uh, existence again. And on a very bright note, uh, Sergio Garcia has a new baby boy born uh, Friday. <laughs> Congratulations to Sergio and his wife. Yeah, and it would have been the second round of the Masters. Yeah, how about that? So, uh, so um, you know, that would have uh, that would have created uh, some issues or, or possibly leaving or withdrawing or what have you. So it, at least in one small way, that timing worked out nicely. And, um, yeah, that was, some, that was some good news. So, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and obviously this is probably not a tough, not an easy time to be going through that either, right, with everything that's going on. But it uh, sounds like everything's good. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Bob, um, 
it's a, a little bit brighter day, not only in um, the world of golf, but the world of sports. And hopefully just to give us some, some optimism um, as you know, we continue to move forward through this uh, pandemic. And as always, absolutely, keeping our fingers crossed. Absolutely, always appreciate your time, and thanks so much. And please stay safe and stay well. You as well. Thank you.